You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is season three, episode 13. I'm bringing you this episode from the beautiful countryside of Dorset, England, where I've been teaching a spiritual retreat on developing your creative identity. One of the talks I gave here is on living as custodians of fascination. Fascination is often what sparks our creative works and likewise is the very thing that keeps our spiritual lives ever seeking and alive. In this talk, I describe why I feel cultivating a life of wonder and fascination is essential not only for ourselves, but for the generations to come. I'll be curious to hear your thoughts on the ideas that I present in this episode, and I look forward to connecting with the members of the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective, which we just launched at the Breath in the Clay Creative Arts Gathering a few weeks ago. Also, before we dive into the episode, I wanted to take a minute and acknowledge what an absolutely incredible time we had at the Breath in the Clay. This was our fifth and largest gathering to date, and I have never received this level of response on how the weekend impacted your lives in such amazing and deeply moving ways. And I just wanted to thank everyone for coming out and spending that time with us. I enjoyed so much getting to know many of you, seeing your art, and just sharing that moment with you. I'm genuinely humbled and blown away and can hardly wait to start working on the next one. This is my keynote on living as custodians of fascination. You and I are the custodians of wonder for our generation and for the generations to come. We are those who have been invited to live a life of fascination, to be those that are contagious in our inspiration and those who are attractive to the world by the way that we live our lives. We are those who are called to stand in awe of what we have seen and what we have experienced and translate that into a language that will bring transformation to the world around us. We have been given limitless access to the mysteries of who God is. There is nothing in God that He has withheld from us. He has given everything of Himself. And He has given us complete access to the infinite mysteries of God. I don't know if we can really get our heads around that because He's uncreated. He has no beginning and he has no end. Before the beginning, there was God. And we've been given access to the fullness of who he is. And not only that, but Paul said that we have been given the mind of Christ. We've been given an invitation to think the thoughts of God himself, to access the infinite possibility of who he is. And we've been created to live in a state of wonder, That means Monday morning too. That means in the highs of our lives and in the lows of our lives, we have access to His infinite reality. 
And not only that, but we have His Holy Spirit as our guide. We have the Holy Spirit to illuminate our mundane Monday mornings, to illuminate our ordinary world with the reality of His presence that's within all things. Have you ever thought about the scripture where the psalmist says that the glory of the Lord fills the earth, present tense? That means that even in the midst of our broken, fallen reality, that the glory of the Lord can be found everywhere. So what's the deal? How do we access that? Part of it is tweaking our own perception, tweaking our own understanding. You know, it's coming into an intentional way of living with the Spirit of God that brings us into that place of access. And for me, this is where creativity begins, is accessing the infinite mind of the Creator. Now, as artists and as creatives, we've been given a sensitivity to the nuance of life and reality. You know, have you ever, you ever thought about how so many times those that have an acute artistic sensibility, we also tend to be very sensitive, okay? But that sensitivity is, is a gift from God. It's because we've been attuned to be sensitive to the things of the Spirit. He's made us that way. He's made us to vibrate in sympathy with the things of God. And so our sensitivity is a gift, and it's meant to bring us into a place of intimacy. And that's the very way that we show forth the environment of heaven in the earth. And um, for those of you that weren't here last night, I mentioned that creativity begins in a posture of receptivity. Creativity begins in a posture of receiving something from God and then interpreting it and releasing it through our lives and through the work of our hands. See, we've been called to respond both to God and to the world and not to react. There's a difference between responding and reacting. To react means that we've been triggered. To react means, it means that our hand has been forced or that we give a knee jerk to something that we've experienced. If we see something that's not right in the world or something that's not right in one of our friends, or <laughs> we react, we knee jerk. But to respond, on the other hand, means that we've taken it in, we've considered what it means, We've meditated on it. We've brought it into a place of prayer and communion. And then we bring forth our interpretation, our response, or our understanding from a place of peace and from a place of contemplation, not a place of judgment, right? And it's my opinion that our world needs people who will respond and not react. Our world needs to see Believers who are immersed in the peace and the presence of God, who are not reactionary. The world doesn't need more reactionary, judgmental Christians. The world needs those who are immersed in the presence of God and can come forth with creative solutions to the problems that we all face. See, creativity, again, is a wider subject than the arts. We equate creativity in the arts as synonymous because the arts are where we most vividly see creativity at work. But creativity is present in everything from washing the dishes to the way we raise our children to our educational systems, maybe even our politics. <laughs> but creativity is all-encompassing. It's problem-solving. It's solutions. 
Creativity is taking something in, responding, and asking God for solutions in bringing transformation to a situation. That's what creativity is. And this is how we as artists and creatives transform our world from a place of ugliness to a place of beauty. See, to me, that's the kingdom of heaven being restored in the earth. God created beauty. I mean, when we look at the mountains or these beautiful green pastures that you guys have here, there's something that comes alive in us when we see landscapes of beauty because we were created to resonate in sympathy with beauty himself. And when we see God's fingerprints in the world around us, we come alive to who he's created us to be because we were created to exist in a realm of beauty, in the presence of beauty himself. And that's why I feel that creativity in the arts inherently prophesies. Whether the artist intended it or not, it's irrelevant. All creativity reenacts Genesis 1 because it shows the fingerprints of the God who, who created it originally. Isn't that amazing? He's creative and we've been created in his image. So creativity begins in rest. It begins in contemplation and it begins in fascination. So I want to ask you this question this morning. What fascinates you? What are you fascinated with? What gets your curiosity going? What is it that provokes you out of your comfort zone for you to go and seek and discover something? Do you have something that fascinates you? Or have we lost our sense of wonder? Has it been clouded by the mundane of our Monday mornings? Is there something that you have to know about and if you don't figure this thing out, if you don't get the answer to this, if you don't dive deeper, you're not going to be able to sleep at night. And if you don't have something that comes to mind, I want to challenge you to begin to ask the Lord to, to reinstate fascination in your heart. Reinstate that place of wonder. This is God's invitation to us. This is the place where we can find His presence beckoning us to a place of communion. And it's not just about tickling our fancy with heightened spiritual experiences, even though there's nothing wrong with those. And I love heightened spiritual experiences. I love those moments of encounter. But for you and I to live fascinated lives, fascinated with who He is, fascinated with the world that He's created around us, fascinated with seeing transformation happen, fascinated with understanding the mysteries of God, fascinated with the curiosities of the created world, this is about much more than us just having a pleasurable experience, but this is for the sake of our generation fulfilling its destiny. This is for the sake of generations to come, of us leaving a legacy of fascination and wonder so that our ceiling can become their floor and that the generations to come can build upon what we've discovered in God. Let's go as far in Him as possible and then leave a legacy to our children and our children's children that they can start where we finished and that they can build and then our grandchildren can build and so on for the generations to come. And it's our responsibility as custodians of wonder to create an environment of beauty that enables encounter with Him. It's for the sake of the generations to come that we live always on the brink of wonder, always on the brink of discovery, never settling for second best, never settling for, well, it's okay, never settling at all except to establish what we've discovered so that that place 
can become a place of discovery for those coming behind us. Once we've made a discovery, let's settle that land so that others can come and develop what we've created and then let's keep moving to the next fascination, to the next curiosity, to the next facet of God's image being revealed through our lives. Paul said that we move from glory to glory, always discovering another facet of this infinite God. We can't exhaust Him. And I'm going to give you a story from my own life that kind of exemplifies my attempt to live out what I'm preaching right here. But for 12 years, not only did I, I tour as a musician internationally and, and did speaking engagements and things like this, but to pay the bills, I also ran a window cleaning business. And I bought this window cleaning business like 12 years ago, and my wife and I built this thing. And it was a mixed blessing because it did pay the mortgage, but it also drove me nuts. <laughs> and, uh, and I know none of you have ever had a job like that. So you're, no. <laughs> But so I ran this window cleaning business and for a while it sort of worked until it didn't work. And it began to weigh on me and, and I had to make a choice in my life. I had to say, I can stay with what is safe for me because I know that a paycheck will come. Or I can make a choice for my children to live as an example to them of what we've been called to do. This isn't even about me fulfilling my dreams. This isn't even about me doing something more that I like. This is about what is the story we're leaving the generations to come? What is the story I want to leave my kids? Is the story that I want to leave my kids, I bought this business, it paid the bills, and so I just stuck it out and did the best I could? Or is the story I want to leave my kids, is the story... There is nothing impossible for you. We love and serve and live with a God who desires the fulfillment of our own hearts and who desires to create a life of partnership that shines as a light to the world around us so that the way that we live our lives before we ever open our mouths, the way that we live our lives resonates the truth of the gospel story. And so my wife and I prayerfully considered it and asked the Lord for opportunities. And last year, we sold our window cleaning business and dove full on into being uh, stewards and ambassadors of the art movement that God has called us to steward. And we did this as a story and as a legacy to leave our children that says, we are going to step out of the boat. And if we fall into the water, if we sink into the water, we know the hand that will lift us up. We can't live our lives in fear and anxiety because fear and anxiety are anti-creative and they're anti-Christian. Perfect love casts out all fear. Cast your anxieties upon the Lord. You know, He has given us this invitation to live a life of faith. Now, don't take this message and go quit your jobs today. <laughs> That's not the point of this message. I know that there... The 12 years that I ran that business were just as blessed by God as this new season that we're in now. It's always a timing. There's always, we have to do this in conjunction with Him. I tried to sell that business a few years ago and really started trying to force that and it wasn't the right time. And fortunately, He stopped us from making the sale at that point. And when it was His right time and His right situation, we were able to sell it for a lot more money than what I was going to sell it for at the time. 
And so my point is, though, is that we can't live from fear and anxiety. We have to live in fascination with this God. We have to take him up on who he says he is. He has so much more for us. We haven't even scratched the surface of what God has for us. And the thing that was happening in my heart with this business is it was becoming toxic. And the challenges of this business began to outweigh the blessings of the business until finally my my wife said, you've been living in the dark night of the soul for three years and it's about time for a change. And that was the catalyst that got us moving toward this because what was happening is I was losing my wonder. I was losing fascination with life. It was drudgery. We are not called to live in drudgery. Do you guys know who Ravi Zacharias is? I absolutely love Ravi Zacharias, a brilliant man. And, um, but he said that the loss of wonder is the beginning of depravity. When we lose our sense of wonder, when we grow numb or dull, when we lose our fascination, we turn to violence and we turn to illicit satisfactions to shock us from our apathy. And we fill the void in our heart with secondary pleasures and substitute glory. Because we were designed to chase after the mysteries of God. We were designed to drink in beauty. God made us this way. We were designed for an environment of never-ending discovery, always seeing another facet of who this infinite God is. And then in turn, we cultivate the world around us from the environment of heaven, from the environment of His presence, in response to what we've encountered in the Spirit. In Genesis, when God breathed upon Adam, He breathed out upon Adam, and then Adam breathed in the presence of God. And then He breathed out the Spirit of God. And you had this this interchange between God initiating Adam receiving it and then breathing it back out. After God breathed upon Adam, he set him in the garden to do what? To cultivate the land, to create culture, to create the world. Adam was first breathed into by God, and then in turn, he went and created the world around him. Most of you probably know, but the word inspiration means to be breathed upon by God. So from the very beginning, you and I have been fashioned by God to live in a state of inspiration. We are called to live breathing Him in and breathing out His presence into the world. It's not like the myth of Prometheus where we have to steal fire from the gods. No, for the Christian, inspiration is a person. Totally different narrative there. We don't have to strive after inspiration. We receive it from Him as a gift from the God who desires to give himself fully. And so it's for the generations to come and for our own health and our own hearts and for the kingdom of heaven coming to earth that we live lives of fascination. But here's a question. How do we do this? (laughs) This all sounds wonderful, but when I go back to America, you guys are going to have to answer that question. What does this look like in my life? How do we take this spiritual revelation and make it practical? How do we cultivate wonder in our lives? How do we cultivate curiosity? How do we keep ourselves from settling into the boredom of over-familiarity? And part of that, I'm not going to answer that question for you. Those are the questions you have to ask God yourself. Because I know that the answer to this 
will look completely different for every single one of you because even though we share experience, our lives are all individual and your situation is totally different than the person next to you. Even for married couples, we all have to figure this out individually before God. But I know that several things that have helped in my own life, I would love to share with you. And if they're helpful for you, take it. If not, you can leave it. The first one is never stop asking why. Don't ever stop asking why. Don't ever stop asking Him why. For the good, the bad, and the ugly. Continue to have that childlike inquisitiveness that just wants to understand how things work. Cultivate asking God why. The second one is never lose your humility. Because humility means I don't understand I don't have all the answers. It means I am willing to be course corrected. <laughs> it's a willingness to be wrong. You know, it's interesting. Humility comes from the, the root of humus, which is of the soil, which goes back to Adam himself. Humility is an essential quality of the human being. You know, when we mix humility with the Spirit of God, we have true humanity. Another one that I wanted to give is to practice observation, to train your eyes to observe. And a story that I love on this is the story of Moses in the burning bush. You know, Moses lived on the back 40 of the desert, is the way we say it, you know, the back 40. It means way out there, where we are here. <laughs> And in the desert, it wasn't uncommon for bushes to catch fire. The fact that this bush was on fire was not the miracle. Moses saw bushes catch on fire probably every day of his life in the desert when the heat was really scorching it. But there was something that Moses had attuned in his heart that when this bush was on fire, suddenly he heard the voice of the Lord speaking to him through the mundane. Suddenly, something was set apart in this bush that was different than every other bush. Can we hear the voice of the Lord on Monday morning? Can we hear the voice of the Lord in the most familiar place where we think we've got it all figured out? Can we hear God speak to us through a person that we feel like we know inside and out? Can that person surprise us and fascinate us? And so Moses is walking along and suddenly he sees a bush on fire and he could have easily walked past it and said, well, I've seen that every day. But instead, the sensitivity of his heart to the presence of God, he recognized God's presence and he turned aside to see. I love that phrase in, in the scripture said, and Moses turned aside to see. That's the key for us is that we always allow ourselves to turn aside and see. To consider the lilies. To consider the stars. To consider the things that have no practical purpose. For us to turn aside and look at those things. You know, art, and I may get tomatoes thrown at me by some people by this, but art is useless. <laughs> in all practical sense art is useless you can't eat with it you can't drive to work with it 
Art is not meant to be pragmatic. Now, there is practical art. Craftsmanship is a practical art. Excellence in table making and in design, there are practical applications of creativity. But these paintings on the wall, they touch a different place in our spirit. Like we talked about last night, that the trees in the garden were both for beauty and for food. It's like we have this need for practical application, but we also have this need just to be awestricken by wonder. We need beauty. But I say that it's useless in the sense of like, it doesn't serve an immediate practical end, if you know what I mean. And so when Moses turns aside to see, he veers off of his course from going from point A to point B. And in so doing, he hears the voice of God for him. And not only for himself, but when he turned aside to see, he gained a word that brought liberty to an entire nation of slaves. Do you guys know who Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf is? Father of the Moravian movement? You guys know who uh, the Dutch priest Henry Nouwen is? Check one, two. Okay. Uh. <laughs> Drop that. So, Zinzendorf had an experience when he went to the art museum and he stood before the painting and he read the, the caption underneath it that said, this I have done for you, what have you done for me? <laughs> Such a convicting statement. It's just like cuts you to the core. But he stood before this painting and he was so transfixed by what he saw, he couldn't move. And when he left the presence of that painting, he went and started his missions organization that sent more missionaries around the world than anybody. I mean, he, his life was changed and he changed the history of nations because he stood before a painting. The same thing with Henry Nouwen. He stood before Rembrandt's The Return of the Prodigal Son. And he got transfixed there for five hours and could not move from looking at this painting. And when he walked away from it, his entire life course had changed. He wrote a book from the experience, which is an incredible book if you haven't read it. And he went into the ministry that he went into because he stood and, and looked at a painting, because he turned aside to see, because he cultivated wonder and fascination. This is our invitation. One of the other things that I, I wanted to share on how we cultivate wonder in our lives, the last one I just said was practice observation to train our eyes. This next one is to worship in new ways. Worship outside the box of your usual ways of encountering Him. You know, find God by going and looking at the ocean. Find God in, in looking at the mountain ranges. Find God in new ways. Whatever that looks like for you, let's, let's encounter Him. Ask Him to show us how to worship Him in new ways, to come outside of the box of what's familiar. When we go outside of the familiar, we position ourselves to receive a new facet of who He is. The next one is simply to take in what has fascinated other people. Listen to what fascinates your friends. If your friends are passionate about something, listen to them talk about what they're passionate about because inspiration is contagious. Passion is contagious. Even if you're not interested in that particular thing, the passion that fuels them will get on you and then you can apply it to your own. Live your life around 
passionate people. Surround yourself with those who are hungry and thirsty for wonder. Don't hang out with the naysayers that bring you down. Hang out with those who are going to push you forward. Go outside of your camp and make friends with people that don't believe the same way that you do. And don't do it for the sake of converting them. Do it for the sake of receiving the gift of who they are. Some of my atheist friends have confirmed my faith more than my Christian friends have. Truly, we've got to get the religious crust off of us. (laughs) Now, I absolutely cannot emphasize this one enough. Allow yourself to be childlike and playful. Jesus himself said that unless we become as a little child, we won't enter the kingdom. And when I, think of, when I think of children, I think of these guys are naturally creative. These guys are naturally artists. These guys naturally ask why. Yeah. These guys are naturally uh, in a state of humility uh, of knowing that they are ever dependent on their parent. And at the same time, when a child is loved, they are completely free to express who they are. When I... <laughs> You know, but it's so true. I love what Picasso said. Everyone is an artist as a child, but it's learning to maintain that creative integrity when we grow up and our passions become hobbies. I just said yes. That's right. Through the mouths of, of little ones, right? But I believe that that's a word for us. That God is inviting us back to a place of childlikeness, a place of playfulness before Him. I mean, you know the story when David danced before the Lord? There's a phrase in there, and it said, David played music before the Lord. And what's interesting is that the word music is in italics because it's only implied, but it's not in the original Hebrew. The original Hebrew says, David played before God. And when you look up the word play, it means to frolic. It means to laugh. It means to be extravagant and in your expression. It means he was actually playing before God. And the musical expression that was part of that came out of his playful position before God the Father. That he knew he was loved. He knew that he could fail and that God would pick him up because he did it time and time again. And that freedom of knowing God's love for him enabled him to be creative, enabled him to do something that the world had not seen in his time. And so I feel like our invitation from God is to be playful in response to his love for us and in turn to go and create a brand new culture in our world. So that's what I've got this morning. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. If you'd like to be a part of these conversations, you can join our online collective at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. We'll see you next time.